0: This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a Patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. 1584, somewhere in the Atlantic. Small waves lapped up against the side of the ship as the crew was beginning to awaken to a rising sun. On the horizon was a faint line, a silhouette blurred by distance and light. For weeks at a time, there was nothing to see but the horizon, and a vast emptiness that lay before them, the men forever hopeful of once again setting foot on solid land. This was the beginning of a wave of expeditions arranged by Sir Walter Raleigh, privateer, military man, and reigning confidant of Queen Elizabeth I. Their ambition, to establish hubs for attacking and raiding Spanish galleons loaded with treasures of the New World. After several attempts at staking a claim on the island of Roanoke off the Carolina coast, a third expedition carrying 117 souls from England embarked to the New World in 1587. But when they finally arrived they found none of what the previous expeditions left behind only the bleached bones of one lone skeleton remain in the sand. The settlers were abandoned in a quagmire of conflict and other tangled political factors. Violence and danger awaited them in the nearby forest from neighboring indigenous tribes who had been attacked and provoked by the English before. Food was scarce, disease was setting in, and they finally pleaded with John White, governor of the newly dubbed Virginia. To return to England for supplies and support. White would embark to England with the intention of returning quickly, but when he finally did arrive, he would find nothing of what he expected. The mystery of Roanoke and its vanished inhabitants remains unsolved to this day, an enduring mystery with clues pulling the search in many different directions. Join us, on Into the Portal for a historical mystery steeped in the conflicts between indigenous populations, warmongering privateers, and the political ambitions of the Spanish and English crowns.
1: Hello and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray,
0: And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back everybody to what I consider to be a very special episode this week because we're getting back into a really cool historical mystery.
1: We are. uh, Yes. A lot
0: of people will know but uh, I'm really excited about it. But before we jump right
1: in. Exactly. Before we jump right in we actually have a special dedication this week as well because when we first started this show uh generally we we're asking our friends our family for suggestions the mysteries that they knew of that they'd want to learn more about and one of my cousins lou he reached out to us while he was in the uk yeah uh, studying at oxford and he actually requested this topic right. so lou it is your birthday well it was your birthday this last week so we are dedicating this to you cool yeah <laughs> but also we do have some reviews yeah
0: we have a couple of just quick little things to go over yeah we have some new reviews which was awesome mm-hmm. so we had uh, two from canada and one from the uk do you want to start Boom. with the canadian ones
1: yeah this one was from uh, Cop- Copper, Pot. <laughs> Copper Pot 77 <laughs> It was a five-star,
0: fresh. Yeah,
1: oh yeah, So, great podcast with hosts that are really engaging. The topics they cover are unique and aren't from the standard list of similar-themed podcasts. Nice. Ooh, there that's you go. That's a good sign. Oh, sorry, the standard hit list of similar-themed podcasts. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I like being a little bit off the beaten track. I know that we have covered ones that are a tiny bit more mainstream as well. We kind of dip back and forth, but...
0: It's kind of funny because the one we're covering today is, like, more mainstream for sure. But it, that's, uh, <laughs>
1: it is. But it's so unique,
0: too, so... It is. That's a great review, though.
1: Yeah. What about you? You got one over there? Yeah, we have
0: one from the UK, and we only had one previous one from the UK, Um, and uh, yeah, so I was stoked to see this. So this is from 4 Big E, five star review. It reads: "The two hosts of this podcast are brilliant. I don't know about that, but thank you, sir. (laughs) Uh, They work fantastically We'll (laughs) well together, and every week provide top quality podcasts that are well researched and presented." I had to sign up to their Patreon subscription just to hear some extra content and provide them with the support to hopefully keep this great podcast going for years to come. If you like strangeness, weirdness, paranormal, or mystery, then I implore you to give this podcast a try. You will not be disappointed. That was awesome. Thank you so much um, for that review. Yes. uh, Yeah, we hopefully will be doing this for many years to come. I
1: know, right? And we had one more. I just want to read quickly. This was another Canadian one by Reese and Olive. It was a five star. And it says here it is a fun, interesting, and well-researched podcast with Down to Earth hosts. Cool. Thanks, guys. Nice compliment. Appreciate that. Word. But even on that note that was in the last review you covered from the UK. New Patreon member. Yeah, we had a couple this week and I am so stoked on it. Like beyond stoked. Yeah um and
0: good feedback from the first few mini episodes we have up there too true like the, the members that uh have been enjoying them
1: so yes. that's cool so we did want to give a special shout out to ian tarver yes thank you so much as well as matthew plum and yeah. joy bichard yeah so thanks guys Yeah, welcome
0: to the patreon community with uh yeah we're stoked to have those guys it's pretty cool
1: Definitely. Look forward to those rewards coming in the mail uh, pretty quick. There.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. One last thing before we jump right in here, we almost, honestly, totally forgot that we didn't even had a T Public site. Wow. <laughs> um, not we, really. We kind of I mean, remembered like, last week. Yeah, yeah. Like we, yeah.
1: And then we had some more people purchase some stuff, so right. we we're like, sweet. <laughs> yeah. And so we actually went ahead and uh, we put up a thirty percent off uh, deal right now mm-hmm. with T Public, so you can get. I don't know, sweet wall tapestry mugs,
0: stickers, shirts, like all kinds of cool tees. stuff, and like it's super soft at, and it's back to school time too, right? So like a lot of our listeners I know have little ones and things mm. like that. So you can get a t-shirt or whatever like clothes Aww, and stuff for so back cute. to school. Ogo little adventure on there, little things like that, little adventure stuff. So
1: yep.
0: it it helps out the show a ton, and uh, yeah, we love to just the idea of people rocking the ITP logo and things exactly. like that. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. no man.
0: (laughs) So, I think we're ready to jump into it.
1: Let's do it. And this
0: week, we are talking about the legendary lost colony of Roanoke. Mm Mm-hmm. So... I mean, a lot of people are going to be familiar with this just by name. They may yeah. not be familiar with the, the story in its entirety. But I feel like
1: the name has a certain sort of prestige, a certain yeah. veneer about it that people will be like, oh yeah, that does sound familiar. It but. is
0: one of the world's most enduring mysteries, really. Well, it's uh, like 400 years, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, it's right up there in with like almost... It, it reminds me of... like It's not similar, really, but of Oak Island, mm. um, just because it's another North American one. Uh yeah, it's just this has been this has been a mystery for a long time. And it's one of the ones that obviously involves a disappearance, too. So that's like the, the crux of it, right? Mm. But there's so much detail embedded into this. So we've, um, we're probably this is going to be broken into two parts. Yeah, but, um, yeah, let's jump right into it. So that sort of starts with we wanted to give obviously the origins of the story because a lot of like documentaries you'll find when you go on YouTube and stuff like that will just start with the missing colony
1: yeah they'll you know? start right from the yeah exactly the disappearance
0: yeah but that's, such as
1: the case as with leonard nimoy right exactly yeah. right
0: yeah like we watched yeah the, in search it, of in the classic in search of i believe and, it was
1: like 1977 that yeah one and
0: it's they're so much fun but obviously they miss a ton of detail and the mm-hmm. thing with this that we discovered looking into it is that the bulk of the detail is before the disappearance
1: it really is um, it's the lead up
0: yeah the lead up that's important so Critical, yeah. it all sort of begins with, more or less, with this character named Sir Walter Raleigh and sort of pronounced either Raleigh or Rayleigh. I'm going to go with Raleigh.
1: I feel like Raleigh is the more
0: common. It sounds more English. Raleigh. Raleigh. And I'm pretty
1: sure in Elizabeth the Golden Age, he, they said Raleigh. Okay. So Clive Owen. That, oh,
0: Clive, then it must be oh, Clive,
1: true. Clive, yep. Love I Clive Owen. I came up with some details. Well, actually in the movie, they go off about that, how like Queen Elizabeth had an affair. Well, no, didn't have an affair, but was in love with him.
0: With with uh, Sir Walter Raleigh.
1: Yeah, which does it, oh, yeah. which does play into the theories later on okay. in this mystery. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So anyway, yeah, it starts with this guy, Walter Raleigh, and he was born into a well-connected gentry family in uh, Hayes, Barton, in Devon, in UK. I don't know exactly Devon. where that is, but this was in and around 1552. I'm surprised it's not Devonshire. Devonshire. Devonshire! Devonshire. No mm. doubt, right? <laughs> he attended Oxford University for a little while, and he was associated with other accolades such as fighting with the Huguenots in France. And then he would later go back to London and study law and sort of work his way into high society uh, there. The
1: Huguenots. Is that like...
0: So that was like... I that mean, was, we, we should know Well, this. there was we, a
1: civil war in, in France. France. Yeah. And so he was heavily involved in that. He was quite brutal, wasn't he? Like well,
0: he, he was a... Yeah, he was like an intent... Well, he was a privateer, but he was like a military man too. He was known for some pretty intense stuff. Like, allegedly in Ireland was responsible for... Or was it in Ireland? Okay, there, was, there Ireland was a massacre in Ireland, but then there was another one involving the Spanish um where he basically oh. had, was involved in a capture of Spanish multiple Spanish ships and decapitated five hundred people brutal I mean not personally, obviously, but the I'm sure he, it. I'm sure he. Had a couple heads in there and then the rest were under his order. So
1: slopped off a couple.
0: Different time, let's just say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty pretty ruthless stuff. Jeez. But anyway, he kind of came to the attention of Queen Elizabeth I in the late 1500. well, the late the fifteen eighties. Early 1580s, I should say.
1: hmm
0: And this was uh came about when he actually went to Ireland to help suppress an uprising there in the area of Munster. Hmm. So he he became a favorite of the Queen, he was a confidant of her, and um one of the he was like he was knighted and appointed the captain of like was called a group called the Queen's Guard, fifteen eighty seven.
1: Oh. I okay. believe was the date for this. He was like really highly revered by her hey. Like yeah, almost to the point where he was considered almost like an oracle. Pretty and he much. was he was he intimidated a lot of her court.
0: Yes. Yeah, and she went to him for basically anything having to do either with, yeah, like military ventures or obviously in this case, like we're getting into with colonization and discovery, exploration and that kind of stuff.
1: Like even I remember reading in one article, he had quite a lot to do. Well, he kind of rose to prominence in regard to, like you said, like, the um, the Irish sort of debacle or whatever you want to call it, where it basically was being led by someone else, and then he stepped in with a totally different plan. And she actually brought them both to court, both of these guys. Like, so he was kind of put up against his competition so to speak like right on the spot and he wowed her and then after that she was like okay you're my new sort of authority in this field and i'm just gonna take your word for it yeah
0: and it it boded well for him obviously because he received like extensive estates in ireland and other parts of the uk and like you know hundreds and hundreds of acres of of land and castles and whatever else right like he was obviously Mm -hmm. an extremely wealthy man but anyway, he basically had an opportunity to become even more wealthy, because he kind of picked up the slack of work done by his half-brother, who was an explorer as well, that actually mm. made it all the way over to the New World, and apparently, I don't know if actually, I didn't have time to look into this one thing, it's not that significant, but apparently his brother, his half-brother drowned, passed oh, right. away on, on, a, on his way back to a sort of as not well established but a tentative fishing colony in the area of Newfoundland oh. um and it was just like you know they were moving up and down the coast at this time but there wasn't any colonies yet like that's an outpost why, yeah an outpost
1: a trade post yeah
0: because they were looking for places to colonize so basically anyway this gets relayed back and yeah Rayleigh kind of uh or gets, Raleigh rather
1: gets relayed back to Raleigh <laughs> <laughs> gets relayed
0: back to Raleigh and he sort of kind of took over this um as the opportunity to mm. establish a, a colony very in interesting
1: World. He's quite a colorful character, this guy.
0: Yeah, he really is.
1: And honestly, yeah, I remember I read this one thing. This is just from Wikipedia, though. So I don't know if it's real or not, but he apparently is credited with uh, introducing tobacco to yeah. uh, to England for the new world.
0: Yeah, because his, uh, his expeditions would have been some of those earliest ones, trading with the indigenous peoples that farmed tobacco. That was one of their main things, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So on March 25th, 1584, Queen Elizabeth uh, granted him the charter for colonization in the area of North America that his Mm. brother had gone and uh, gave him those rights. And if he didn't follow through on it, though, he would lose his right to colonization. So he was pretty hell-bent on making this happen.
1: Pretty determined. Because
0: he was a privateer. And whether it was just colonizing for the sake of the crown or also having the opportunity to raid Spanish galleons and things like that, there was some uh, Mm. mixed reasons for this endeavor.
1: That's very interesting, Mm -hmm. and because Raleigh is sort of the central pivot, right, in this whole story, later on, when we do get into theories, right, one of them does involve his role in the court, and potential people that didn't want, well, they weren't wishing him well, that's for sure, so.
0: Many people didn't uh, care for him, Exactly, because
1: he was like this golden boy, so to speak, of Elizabeth, and like I alluded to, yeah, there was... This strange plot that was um, brought to light in that Elizabeth the Golden Age, which is a lot of speculation, but supposedly she loved him so much that she actually, to maintain her virginal status, obviously she didn't have an affair with him, but what she did was that she set him up with one of her maids in waiting okay. and she basically enjoyed their affair from a distance. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. Yeah, but it's weird though because there is this one account that kind of so eventually these two actually got married. Um Cl- I'm just going to call him Clive Owen. <laughs> Clive and the the chick whatever the the he's lady in waiting. 20. Oh yeah. He's he's going to be around. He's like the new uh what was it called? Countess <laughs> But, anyways, yeah, apparently there was this one story, though, where they got married secretly, and then Elizabeth found out about a year later and was furious and imprisoned both of them. Uh, so, I'm not sure, like, you know, how aware she was or not, right. but they were definitely taking a risk, that's mm-hmm. for sure. So, anyways, that's a total side note. Okay, so basically, we're at the point where Raleigh has established his right to colonize north america on behalf of the english crown. yeah and so this starts out in uh, 1584 was the first expedition yes and rayleigh although he never stepped foot on american soil we keep he... switching back
0: and forth between raleigh and rayleigh oh already. shoot <laughs> shoot sorry Raleigh, raleigh
1: it's just the spelling i know Looks it's, different. It different
0: flip-flops yeah. in the spelling from different sources doesn't
1: it yeah it does yeah. anyway let's go with raleigh, raleigh. i like raleigh. raleigh so let's say raleigh himself <laughs> he never stepped foot on american soil no and but he was the leader of these expeditions, so we will be referring to him as that. Yeah, um, officially,
0: he led the expeditions.
1: Exactly. So he definitely guided them. Uh, I'm not sure how much communication there was between them after they left for England. Like you know what I mean? Like if there were other ships along the way that they could have passed letters to right, the like way. Right. Like if they
0: stopped at lower ports before making exactly. their way up to, Ro- to Roanoke and left things messages. like that. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure they
1: had some way of communicating over
0: super duper slow. Exactly. <laughs> Obviously, yeah.
1: not very well uh, connected. Yeah. But anyways, they did have a really good first expedition and they established fairly positive relationships with uh, the North American natives they found. Yeah, uh, It was actually interesting. Uh, supposedly the first instance of contact recorded by the English in the area was um, actually, it was instigated by a lone native man that bravely approached an english ship in his canoe yeah and this ship in particular was led by arthur barlow and philip amadas on behalf of raleigh yes and they yeah i don't know they so they ended up sailing
0: so that was the first instance of contact, like
1: it, and it was positive, right? right. And they weren't really sure. Obviously, they were on their guard. I would imagine yeah, they had, they their, had like, their guns at ready, so right. to speak. But it was like it was just kind of awkward, and they were kind of like using, you know, like the typical just uh, hand
0: gestures and yeah. stuff, and trying to figure things out. But they that was the that right from that point on is when I can't remember the name. We have it further down, but there was a man that started to try to develop um, a, a dictionary for the Algonquin language and stuff. So that that's they, they when they went back. Yeah, that was a little later on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, yeah, so that's actually really relevant, because on this first expedition, one of the most important things that happened was these two native men, Manteo and Wanchise. Wanchise? Wanchise? I don't know. One, I think it's, Wanchis? yeah.
0: Wanchise. Wanchise?
1: They were two, well, I don't even know if I want to call them volunteers, but they did come back with uh, Barlow, so right. the captain of the ship. And they were actually not from the same tribe. So one was right. from the Roanoke tribe. I believe that was Manteo.
0: Other way around. Manteo oh, was oh, sorry, Cro- sorry. Croatoan. Manteo's or Croatoan. Croatan. Right.
1: Croatan. And Wanchese was actually... Roanoke. Oh, I just want to say Wanchese. Just
0: say Wanchese. <laughs> yeah. The, the so they're, <laughs> they're
1: neighboring tribes. One, like Manteo was actually supposedly, in some accounts, he's actually the chief. Of, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like I feel high like that's probably... ranking. I feel
0: like just like a trusted member of the group. Obviously, not like a young, yeah, you know, whatever. But like probably not the outright chief of the.
1: That's why I say yeah. yeah. In some accounts, because right. in others they just say he is high ranking. Yeah. Uh So, anyways, yeah, they both are Algonquin speaking natives, and they were both residing in what is now coastal North Carolina. Okay. And yeah, they were the first the two of the earliest uh, American indigenous peoples to enter into English record overall. Right. And obviously they were very, they were in, integral to the establishment of these relations by the English. And especially they were important to Raleigh because their testimony and just their presence in general was a huge propaganda tool that he could use to garner support to establish plans for well, definitely.
0: Like these guys, because like they came and uh, Barlow wrote... Like they realized as soon as they got there, they were like, "There is so much abundance here." Like he wrote, like the quote was hilarious. It was something like, "This is the goodliest land we had ever seen in our lives," or something like that. Right? Exactly. And so they they needed to. I mean, you can't take photograph. I mean, they had people they t- drawing oh? and taking topographical things and stuff. But they needed to they had to bring,
1: White doing that. Actually, they had yeah,
0: they had John, yeah, exactly. John yeah. White. John White.
1: He's another important character. But obviously, in this bringing whole thing.
0: back somebody who could describe in vivid detail the landscape, the politics, and all this kind of stuff that but meant. Manteo and Onechasee were able to do.
1: That's actually interesting, though, because they wouldn't have been able to communicate that because they don't speak English. Ah, <laughs> so yeah. if you don't speak, well, Embanquin, not, y- well, not then...
0: <laughs> yet. They didn't yet. Like Manteo, obviously, they developed communication enough for them to bring them back and tell them all these details, right?
1: Exactly. And so this is where Thomas Harriet comes into play. He was I, described as linguistically talented. I'm assuming he was a very educated Englishman because otherwise, how the heck would he be able to do what he did? And what he did do was actually he learned Algonquin and he yeah. created, like you said, a detailed dictionary. Right. Okay. So this, this was the tool that unlocked the secrets of the new world, essentially. And so what he did is he developed an alphabet of 36 symbols um, that <laughs> expressed... This is a quote, to express the Virginian speech and any other spoken language from the Americas or Europe. So he actually sat down with Manteo and Juan Chese. Manteo, who was loving his stay, Juan Chese wasn't really. He he yeah. actually soon after landing on English shores, he basically thought of himself as a prisoner. Right. But anyways, he did sat down with him and he daily, and this was to glean as much information as he possibly could. Um, he definitely wanted to know basically what he wanted to know was their culture, their way of life, their war, and then especially the Roanoke Island region. He wanted to know what kind of resources there were and how best to prepare for the first landing of a colony. Right, Right. So that was very, very interesting. And obviously the information they were giving was something they wanted to hear. And so Rayleigh decides to organize a second expedition, which is to be led by a sir richard grenville that's
0: right sir Mm. richard grenville another
1: character that's just a little bit yeah (laughs) yeah
0: so this guy again just like uh like raleigh who allegedly apparently richard grenville is actually his cousin Mm -hmm. i mean everybody seems to be cousins with everybody back in the day here (laughs) like your cousins your dad and your dad's your uncle and your cousins your everybody i don't even know (laughs) like everyone seems to be interconnected somehow it's crazy but anyway um Richard Grenville could sent back essentially, yeah, because of this testimony and this information that they gleaned from these two indigenous men that they brought back and they were there for about eight months, I believe. Um, it's
1: amazing they didn't die of disease, hey
0: it is. Quite frankly, like they were obviously just, uh, in areas that were so like very well kept, right? Like and not exposed is, to any like, you know, uncleanliness well, or whatever. True. Like,
1: and not even that, but like Rayleigh basically kept them under wraps. He was very controlling as to where they went, what they did, and who they, they spoke to. And when they did, they to. dressed
0: them up. So they dressed them up like Englishmen and, uh, basically told people what they needed to tell them depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. And there was one instance that I remember reading where there were some German, um, you know, whatever diplomats or something that saw them and were making some interesting comments about how they looked like, I don't even know. I can't remember exactly what it was. Or maybe it was Russian, like as if maybe they looked like Siberia, some indigenous Siberians or something like that. Oh, I but, heard
1: accounts. No, 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 not Siberian, that some people took them to be Moors.
0: okay. Is mm-hmm. that what it was? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I like mean, they, Moors, they were obviously,
0: I mean, you might Arabic.
1: That, like, not Arabic, yeah. but you know what I mean. Like, a little bit darker. more olivey. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And the Moors were definitely, they were almost like gypsies. They were not. Nomadic. And... They were not well revered mm, mm-hmm. in their communities. They I, I they actually went through some expulsions. I remember during the Carolingian era of Europe, uh, in my medieval history class, I learned about that, the um, Spanish expulsions of the Moors right. back in, like, I don't even know, like, the 13th and 12th century. I don't even know.
0: So, like, they must have felt like they were definitely put on a bit of a... I mean, they were. Well,
1: especially like, what's his name, on Chase, right? Because, like, if he's forced to dress in these, this strange garb and yeah. conform to all these rules, and he's just like, you know what, I'm really not feeling this. Right. And he's stuck there. Like, and, what else are you going to do? And
0: that's kind of the thing, like, that I wrote this question in here just for us. It's just like, you know, it seems strange that they would go so willingly to a new place. Like, even How if you are so. Was it? That's my question, right? That's exactly my were question. They was, it, was it kind of a 50 50? Yeah. Were they tricked or were was they it promised possibly,
1: things? Or promised things on behalf of their tribe?
0: I'm well, most, you know I mean? most certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you what benefit to. would, you're not just going to do it just out of curiosity. Exactly. You'd think, right? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. So anyway, that's what happened. And so because of this, we get a second expedition. So the two, these two men end up returning and they get back to Roanoke among the second wave and it's financed by Raleigh and his, and uh, well, his now deceased brother and the, mm. and the crown. And upon their return, the two men's place in history kind of diverges. So Manteo, who is a Croatoan, he's he's still serving as an interpreter and guide, but he's he's still around. Whereas mm-hmm. the other guy, Chese, mm-hmm. he goes right back into his local Roanoke
1: mm. groups
0: and basically disconnects himself from his his experience that he's just had.
1: He's probably like scarred for life.
0: Yeah. I mean, he he, he may have felt ill-treated by the English like throughout the trip. It's tough to say, right? Like I don't know.
1: It's interesting, too, that even on their return, they wouldn't have brought back potential germs or disease or anything that would... You never know, though. Maybe they did, and we just don't know. We don't have a record. Well, that
0: definitely ties into the part two and theory section Mm. and things like that, too. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's definitely possible that he would have thought after being there that he saw these colonists now as a threat to his people, where unlike Manteo, who, I don't know, different vibe, like their people are on a different island, and he's just got a totally different vibe with all this stuff, I guess, right? I mean...
1: (laughs) He's not vibing.
0: He's just feeling fine about it. <laughs> oh,
1: sorry. Yeah, not not one Manteo, Manteo is feeling fine. yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, in this expedition, it was seven ships that came from England with Sir Richard Raleigh, and some of them went further south and kind of, like, you know, would have landed in the area of just north of Florida and stuff like that, where there were Spanish ships. Oh, okay. And um, then worked their way up the coast. I um, see. Finally arriving in the area of Roanoke in North Carolina.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But this guy, Richard Grenville, was a piece of work. I mean, he was something else, this guy. So, I mean, unlike the first expedition that was really positive, things things weren't so positive this time, right? So, mm-hmm. And this was partly because he was a sea dog. Let's just call it that, literally. Okay. So he was a, uh, a privateer employed by the British Crown, and these guys were known as the sea dogs of the Queen the because they were kind of ruthless and they basically their jobs were just just that they were pirates they were just paid pirates is Mm -hmm. all it is right you're raiding you're killing for profit and you're giving a cut of it back to the crown which that's the interesting
1: part too about this whole thing because it's almost like there's two different goals right or two or one is a cover for the actual motive right for being in the new world perhaps like you suggested this earlier andrew how queen elizabeth She wasn't really interested in a colony per se. Right. But she did want to have, like, posts. Perhaps, yeah, an outpost that they could have these strongholds. Yeah, they needed to
0: be able to attack the Spanish. They
1: really just wanted Spanish gold. Because the Spanish had a pretty lucrative thing going on at the time in South America and Central America. Yeah,
0: the English were pretty much thinking that they missed the boat on that one, right? (laughs) They did. Like, pun intended. And they did. And so here they are up in different, well. Anyway, yeah.
1: They're just trying to reap the benefits. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Off the Spanish (laughs) backs.
0: Yeah. So the other important thing, just to note about this, is, like, obviously his crew is, like, yeah, they're essentially pirates. So it's, like, they have some skills. It's a hodgepodge group of of guys, Mm -hmm. right? Like, from mining backgrounds or other trades backgrounds, different things like that. But they're not necessarily the type of people that would be able to survive extended periods of time, like, in a new world. They weren't really the group to be establishing a colony. They were the ones there Mm -hmm. to stake a claim. I and see. And to get things started, more or less. Okay. And the things were going okay at first. Like, they had all kinds of stuff to live off of, so they get there. There's obviously ample seafood. There's deer, fox, raccoon, bear, all kinds of other flora and fauna and things like that to hunt and eat. Mm. Berries and roots and seasonal things like that. And they did have friendly relations still from the previous voyage, so they were able to collect berries and things they were able to trade and they had like these glass beads and things that they would trade and different things like that Mm -hmm. and thomas harriet wrote in his account like although the people here do not use the same science and knowledge as us they show us they show an incredible wit and cunning and they show us love end quote so they respected these people for their abilities to survive and their wit and intellect
1: yeah and it was
0: all going fine until
1: that's interesting actually so oh, no. until Sorry. <laughs> well, i just noticed though that thomas harry obviously he's the same one that came with the dictionary yeah so he came back with them yeah and then white we have to establish too white is on both of these expeditions and right. he is the one that are, he's the illustrator so he's basically trying to capture images right. of all the wonders of. The so theory. john
0: white just to just to clarify here is the father of eleanor white and eleanor white dare and then the, and ends up being <clears throat> virginia the, Dare. his granddaughter is born in the new world and he's not the, only
1: that he is the governor of virginia
0: yeah (laughs) the first appointed governor of virginia yes Yes.
1: but not until later not at this moment there is no virginia at this moment no
0: nothing so he's so he was there as a yeah to because he was an artist so he was drawing the algonquin people and like yeah flora and fauna and stuff like that so everything was fine until until Until. (laughs) until richard grenville more or less single-handedly screwed up relationships between Europeans and indigenous peoples (laughs) for all eternity.
1: Forever. I
0: mean, well, I mean, the Spanish had already done a really good job.
1: you're looking for someone to blame, blame him.
0: Literally, this is how, this is what what happened here. The story goes that things were fine, hunky-dory, up until a silver cup was allegedly stolen from the English camp. Great. Okay? Okay. Literally just a cup a cup a cup
1: the only thing useful in this world is just to hold Kay. water <laughs> yeah or other things <laughs> okay
0: so and this is obviously highly debatable whether or not we would have stolen this or not they they're still becoming accustomed to different to the to the cultural differences and stuff they've been trading mm-hmm. different things back and forth this silver cup isn't going to have monetary value to to the Roanoke people it it would have just no. been possibly thought of as a gesture or whatever a gift right?
1: of sorts. Right. Cause they were exchanging lots of things. Yeah, exactly. And so perhaps what the natives, I, I would imagine, cause like, obviously these people are getting food from them, I would imagine. Yeah. So maybe they're like, well, if we're giving them all this stuff, yeah. then why can't we like, you know, like, exactly. Who knows? Misunderstanding.
0: Unfortunately, that misunderstanding ends up taking a really like grim turn because mm. Grenville, the, being the tyrant that he was and sort of the pirate mind, mm-hmm. his response was to basically sneak into the village, ambush the pe- indigenous peoples mm-hmm. there and burn their village and crops to
1: Great. the ground. Great. Now, right. this is not Burn only incredibly
0: reactionary and stupid, but you're also burning the very same food that you need to trade for to survive.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so, really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> really, really dumb. A so
1: hot-headed there.
0: Yeah. So, basically, this destroyed relationships, obviously, with the local Roanoke peoples. And
1: all trust, I would imagine.
0: Yes. And, of course, Grenville, being the guy he was doesn't really need to stick around to deal with it he's like well i'm a privateer so i'm going to keep going and doing my thing but mm-hmm. you guys need to stake this claim he leaves back to england and le- and leaves behind a crew of 108 people under the leadership of a man named ralph lane hmm. to essentially hold on to the territory uh you know of what he still wanted to be a stronghold for the english attacking spanish ships among other things allegedly okay. a full colony is that actually the case at this point in time i don't know because people don't seem that concerned about the people there You know what I mean? Yeah. So he left his men in a situation that was obviously crazy difficult. So they're low in supplies. They don't really know that much about the climate and natural resources other than the basics. Mm
1: -hmm. And now
0: they've pissed off every single other person on that island.
1: Exactly. So now they're living in a hostile environment. And on top of that, they don't really have the survival skills necessary other than, say, the guns they have with them. I would imagine they could probably shoot something and just roast it on a spit. That'd be like their only way of.
0: But it's like an. But that's even then, tough, like, right? what about
1: like, what about even just like accommodations? Like, are they able to build, like houses? Would well, probably be pretty. They had structures. some basic
0: structures and stuff like that. The problem with hunting at this point in time is now obviously like you'd have to have hunting parties of more than a few people because anybody that was straying out on their own because of the recent attack that they led, people were getting people were getting killed. Like you go out to hunt and you get shot with an arrow. You go to this. So people didn't want to leave by themselves. Yeah. And obviously hunting with big groups of people isn't very effective. So, um, yeah, there were obviously Hmm. some, so yeah, there were some attacks on the colony or well, I'm going to call it a colony just for sake of just making it easy to understand, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, it was just a, just a temporary stronghold. The group. They fended off some of these attacks and there was some tense situations Then small pockets of people basically that would try to attack them. Um, and then again, there were small groups that, after a small period of time, kind of came around, and they were they were okay. They still were wanting the goods that these Englishmen had, and so they were trading food with them, but not enough to really make things. Uh,
1: it was a hard, winter. comfortable.
0: So Ralph Lane wrote um, in a letter back to England: "If the natives do not help us, we will starve like a starving horse in a stable." What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really, <laughs> really profound um, way of uh, phrasing it there, Ralph. Like but, a starving
1: uh, horse in a state. What yeah. does that mean? Like they're just trapped? Is that kind of what he's implying? I think these,
0: yeah. I mean, I probably could come up with a better. I mean, you're The little, farming
1: is super hard, eh? Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, maybe you just suck at growing things. But yeah, I know if you, if you already, yeah, if you've made hostile relations with the only people that could educate you in those things, then you're obviously kind of screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a very good way to go about it, boys. No,
0: exactly right. <laughs> So the, these men were essentially, you know, they're waiting around for for Grenville to come back because mm. he said he was going to be back in April. Um, what was the exact date on that again? I think uh, we
1: had... April... Well, no, we didn't have an exact date. Okay. It was just April 1586.
0: Okay, so he was supposed to be back sometime in 1586. He never comes back. And, um, yeah, this is obviously not working out. So basically what happens is, like... They, the chief of the Roanoke's, is kind of realizing too that like, they can't survive either because there are still small pockets of people trading with the these last groups of settlers and stuff like that. There's still some clashes going back and forth. He basically decides to one the winter earlier. Is that correct? He moves the Roanoke's off the island for a time.
1: The chief, yeah, he decided that same winter that the 108 were there stranded. Like you know what I mean? That he. Yeah, the chief... It was it was tough, right? Because, okay, so you have 108 men that are foreigners, and then you have a tribe that, in some accounts, it was close to 300. So that's, our, that's straining your resources. So what he did in order to save his own men and his own community, he decided to move them off the island.
0: So then Spring comes around, and essentially Ralph Lane and his men are pretty choked, and Lane leads an attack mm-hmm. on the Roanoke people. So once again, obviously just leading to more and more worse, worsening of the relationships. And
1: it was, we actually had like, well, we watched a couple different documentaries on this and it was kind of sneaky what he did. Like he brought his men under the pretense of discussing like, you know, like potential peace or like, um, trade or something, trying to reestablish relations. And then what he did is he had a code word. Do you remember what that was? Code word? (sighs) I'll of my head, I can't, but we didn't write it down, unfortunately. But know, he, how, but uh, yeah, he had a code word, and he yelled it out, and essentially on his command, the entire yeah, just,
0: it was something to do with the queen up, or something or like something, of, gl- or something yeah, or, yeah, something along those lines, yeah,
1: for the motherland, I don't know, something like well, he said something like that, something it was like a like, battle cry, yeah. But anyways, yeah, so they ended up just yeah,
0: ambushing and attacking them. The chief uh Waninga it was shot twice, uh, but didn't die. He was running into the forest, and Lane sent the fastest man in his group to chase him down and uh, beheaded, beheaded the chief. Lovely.
1: Great. So,
0: yeah, that's pretty gruesome, obviously. And um, still at this point, obviously, Grenville had still not returned. Luckily, I guess you could say for these people, um, well, yeah, luckily for the English colonists or settlers or whatever, Sir Francis Drake rolls up. So
1: boom, Sir Francis Drake
0: just sort of brief bio on him he was another privateer he was a sea captain slave trader explorer um all around ruthless guy he's a Um, triple threat (laughs) yeah pretty much yeah anytime you have slave trader on your resume Mm. that's something you know you're a real peach um so anyway but these guys uh these guys wanted to get off this island, obviously. So yeah. they they hitched a ride with Sir Francis not
1: Blame them; they're just dropped into a hornet's nest, <laughs>
0: pretty much. So Grenville arrives, uh, obviously, long after his crews obviously abandoned the, this outpost, and he's forced to leave behind just a skeleton crew because he was hoping there'd be still some left alive mm-hmm. holding on to the outpost. Yeah, he only had fifteen men that he could leave. <laughs>
1: He
0: could um, spare. So... He just,
1: like, basically sentenced those guys to death.
0: Essentially. So mm-hmm. he left 15 men to hold on to, once again, this Roanoke outpost. And that brings us up to... Oh, man. Our third expedition.
1: So, okay, Grenville, yeah, he obviously had to do this because otherwise... I'm wondering what sort of time frame Raleigh had as far as, like, maintaining this colony so he could, like, maintain his charter and his, you know, his declaration from uh, the crown. Yeah, Because yeah. that, to me, kind of speaks to the desperation of Granville, right? Like, why would you do that? What the heck is so valuable there that you have to maintain this outpost? Can't you just reestablish one somewhere else?
0: I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling that he just doesn't really care about these 15 guys. He's like, whatever, Crown wants me to do he's, this. R-Raleigh he's doing his due diligence. To, yeah. He's like, yep, yeah, Kate. Okay, you guys are here.
1: It's You're going to get
0: great things when they, the colonists will be here anytime, and you'll be already here, and it's all going to be hunky-dory, and of course. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, so, <laughs> third expedition. So, this is when we actually get the settlers that would be part of this lost colony arriving. Right. And it was about July 1587. 117 different people a mix of various walks of life set out from england and they were tasked with the job of forming the first english colony in the new world yeah
0: pretty first, profound
1: first colony first community yeah. they were bringing over like i'm not sure if there was actual children children but they were bringing families oh for sure there was young, young kids
0: for sure okay yeah
1: so yeah so this is based yeah families obviously there'd be kids involved mm-hmm. in. So people, like, noblemen were there, tradesmen, women with skills, weaving, all sorts of, like, obviously cooking. Farmers, all kind of, of course, and Farmers. things like that.
0: Although they had a tough time with the land.
1: Yeah. But well, that, that might not have been their fault. Indeed. Anyways, so they were led by John White. He was appointed governor of Virginia. Yes. And he actually proclaimed Virginia in honor of the Virgin Queen. Right. When they arrived. So, again, yeah, I guess... <laughs> Um, oh yeah, and we already mentioned this before—the fact that he was with Grenville on previous expeditions. Yeah. He traveled um, numerous times, so yeah. th- that's why he was essentially chosen to be governor, is because he did have this familiarity.
0: Totally, e- expert math maker. But
1: he was. unfortunately, that means that he also could have been slightly colored by these previous expeditions and the sea dog-like nature of these people. Yes. So, so he's bringing families though. So this is just like kind of like really awkward. Uh, so again he was accompanied like we mentioned by his daughter Eleanor White who is pregnant as well as his son-in-law Ananias Dare. So she, right. they were married and so she's pregnant. Oh my goodness anyways. Okay.
0: Yeah, could you imagine that journey like in that state?
1: Oh, uh, no. And I couldn't even imagine being in that state in general. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, that's a whole different
0: <laughs> whole
1: different can of worms. Though. But, <laughs> anyways, yeah. So they were the colony was never supposed to be established at Roanoke, right? Which is never, a weird part of
0: the story, really.
1: Well, like, it factors into theories later on, especially Miller's theory. But, anyways, that's in our second part. What. I did want to touch on right now was the fact that it was supposed to actually be in Chesapeake Bay, which is a little bit further north. It's a lot more inland. It's a lot bigger of a bay and it has deeper water. It's just more, more sheltered, more sheltered, more viable in general, more resources, right? Because Roanoke Island is just that. It's yeah. an island yeah. and there's limited resources. Yeah. So all of these people that chose all 117 were promised 500 acres of land along the Chesapeake shore. So that's a pretty big incentive.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: Yeah. And so actually what happened was they, so White was their governor. The commander of the ship, however, was a man named uh, Fernandez. And he was much more interested in privateering than actually assisting the colonists, which actually, that's actually painting him in a favorable light because others will say that he straight up sabotaged it. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: And we'll get to that later. (laughs)
1: get to it later (laughs) i feel like we're pulling a (laughs) astonishing legend
0: (laughs) shout out to scotten (laughs) forest
1: but anyways um yeah so they were supposed to be established up further the coast in chesapeake bay but instead they were dropped in roanoke and this was actually so they stopped there to grab those 15 people that were left by grenville still alive exactly (laughs) unfortunately Hmm. What did they find? They found a bleached skeleton on the beach. They found nothing else. No other bodies. They found the fort entirely wrecked. It was just abandoned and burned and whatever else. And it was a pretty dismal scene. The
0: fate of those 15 men is not, is most likely massacred by the local indigenous people.
1: It actually is. And it's kind of funny because like There was a lot of things that didn't go as planned. The colonists were in a very dire situation even before they landed at Roanoke. They, okay, so there was the fact that they did not get to stop in a port in the Caribbean after they sailed the Atlantic to get... Salt that would be crucial for preservation of all their foods or right. meat, all that kind of stuff, as well. They didn't get any fresh water. They didn't get any of the other additional supplies. So and that put them in a very tough position. Totally, and, and it was the entire fault of Fernandez. So again, it was his. He did. He literally sabotaged them. And White was furious. Apparently, he wrote about this in his uh, journals, and he. Wanted to make sure that the crown, the English crown, was aware of the actions of this man because it wasn't adding up to
0: him. And he's got a Spanish name.
1: Okay. Ominous. Yeah. So there you go. That is an angle. The the Spanish do kind of come into play into one of these theories. But yeah, Fernandez.
0: Because that's totally not the route either, right? Like so, like earlier on when we were no. talking about Barlow and uh, Amadeus, which is also a sort of a Spanish sounding name. But um, they looped through. So they, they came down through Cannery Islands and then got supplies there, like you mm-hmm. said. <clears throat> excuse me. Salt, fresh water, then worked their way up the coast. That is the route that they were supposed to take. And they didn't. You did. You, didn't, you don't just go direct across the Atlantic to where they didn't, Roanoke is. They didn't
1: go directly to because they actually went to Puerto Rico. Exactly. And that's where another element. There was one colonist that departed the ship in Puerto Rico, and he plays into a sort of conspiratorial theory later on. Um, but we're not going to touch on that right now. (laughs) Where are we at here? (laughs) Where are we at? We're at the part where Fernandez decides that he is just going to be a dick. And he basically just tells White, he's like, and he tells all of his men, all of his crew, not to let any more colonists, once they've kind of, they've gone on shore on Roanoke to find the the 15 men left behind. And they can't find them. And they just find this crappy scene. And then they're not admitted aboard the ship after And to top it off, when they're unloading their supplies, they um, are actually, a lot of it's damaged during the unloading.
0: Really dropped in the water and stuff like that? I guess. I
1: would imagine water damage of some sort. It wasn't, the sources I saw weren't super clear, but again. So yeah, they're in dire straits. And it's another issue too with Fernandez was that he was pokey and he actually, I think it was about a span of a month. They were kind of just sailing around and he supposedly didn't know where they were. So he was trying to re- regain his, his wits and his... Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. And then the reason he said that he dropped them off at Roanoke instead of traveling further up coast to where he was supposed to drop them in Chesapeake Bay was because he wanted to go plunder some Spanish gold. And supposedly, when he left them, he didn't do that. He beelined it straight back to England. So, what does that say about Fernandez? Hmm. Very suspicious character. Indeed,
0: indeed. Very
1: suspicious. So, he puts them in this really, really, really crappy situation. Yeah. They can't plant um, crops because they're way too late. They landed mid-July.
0: Way too late in the Way season.
1: too late. Um, on top of that, they find, obviously, they have inadequate housing, so they get to work on that right away, which expends a lot of energy and uh, resources for them. And on top of that, it's super dangerous to hunt. Like we mentioned, like there was the one guy that went crabbing; he was found dead. Yeah, I was. His, I think his name was something How, and uh, he, yeah, he yeah. wandered a little too far. And yeah, there's huge risk. So it was bad. So there's 117 souls to feed. Many of the supplies are damaged, and they don't have like finding food is an issue for these people. The only thing that is it's
0: a light at the end of the exactly tunnel exactly
1: is. Manteo! <laughs> yeah,
0: he's still kicking around with his group yeah. on Croatan, Croatoan island. So nearby. Croatoan
1: island is pretty close, hey, to yeah. Rowan Oak.
0: Fairly close. Mm-hmm. I mean, close enough that you could you could move there if you had to. Let's just say that <laughs> you right. could get you, you can. I mean, it's not like a day trip, but it would be relatively close by.
1: And that was one of the signals, right? When White ends up leaving back to England for supplies. In the end, he they have this agreed thing, right? Where if they were to leave, they would give they would write where they were going so that's what plays into the clues later on right but anyways so he
0: finds Manteo
1: he does and Manteo is he he is faithful and despite all his like brethren basically hating the settlers and finding them just a nuisance and just a a, you know like expending resources that they would otherwise use in more responsible ways Mm -hmm. um he actually agrees to be their intermediary and he sets up a date I believe it was August 6th. It might be a few days off. I'm not sure. But he sets this date up to arrange peace between the settlers and the neighboring tribes. And that was something that White arranged through Manteo. Right. Yeah. So they uh, actually... This is just another really unfortunate um, form. Like, you know, just like... It's almost like dominoes, right? These events that take place. Yeah.
0: Really stupid.
1: Really dumb. So essentially... Um, the day arrived and nothing was heard from the natives. Uh, white went to the spot where they were supposed to meet and there was nothing. So he actually just took it as a sign that they were preparing for war and he yeah, freaked that's, out. It's a
0: jump to conclusions, Matt. You're, like, you're pulling really, that out again. <laughs> I, I am because it's like all that is, that is that if of all the conclusions to jump to, like literally you sought out this guy to try to ar- arrange peace. People aren't there therefore yeah. you, like if you
1: just leave him alone man it's just, just leave that's be. just
0: that's just crazy sauce it
1: kind of is and it's so it's late in the summer now it's august 6th they're kind of feeling a little desperate and white he decides that they need to attack preeminently they need to be the first which is dumb you've already done that so many times right and he was a part of it he was there he saw grenville's like you know his faux pas and all this stuff and I guess maybe he agreed with them. I don't know.
0: The only thing I could be thinking of here is like, okay, he he went to Manteo and he's arranging this, trying to sort things out, but maybe just in doing that and having Manteo go to these other groups and say, hey, I'm going to try to negotiate peace. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes that they haven't shown up. Maybe he saw that, like, my only rationale there is that just that conversation between Manteo and these other groups was like further angered them because they have mm. another indigenous person that's kind of like siding with them or it was like in the middle and it just sort of stirs the pot up again Perhaps. to be like oh like what do you mean like you're gonna Who try to arrange? Yeah. you know what i mean but
1: what kind that's of internal just politics wild, are that's just wild that's just wild
0: speculation too though so
1: yep
0: but what happened
1: what did happen they attacked the first village they found and they attacked the wrong tribe <laughs> Good, job boys. Job, Good guys. job, boys. Great yeah. job. So basically just they just he else.
0: arranges a war party and they go out in the in the night, so it's dark. Mm-hmm. So they can't actually see who or where or what. And they come across <laughs> the first frickin' campfire they can find in the woods yeah. and just start massacring people.
1: They start massacring people and not only that, they burn their crops.
0: Yeah. So again So now
1: everyone's in a bag. So
0: now again, place. okay. You need to eat those, everyone, okay? <laughs> I'm just, like, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. Like the rationale here is just mind boggling.
1: You'd think like, like if you only... had guns, right, you would just, per, you would set up your own perimeter and shoot down any native that tries to go near it and just confiscate it. Right.
0: I, I, yeah, I guess. I mean,
1: that's me being ruthless right now. But like, if that was me, I wouldn't burn it. Literally I would just... though, it's
0: like literally the, unless you kill every single last per, in like person on that island other than in your group, it's an island. If that doesn't go well... Right, it's like punching a guy in an elevator. But like, that's just you it. Know, like <laughs>
1: it is an island, and if you kill off enough people, then they become the minority, and you're the majority. So, and you have weapons. I guess
0: that would be the only rationale. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, it's it's very poor it's, judgment. It's
1: really dumb, is what I would say.
0: So that's yeah. So we've got uh, the the original Roanoke chief was beheaded a few years earlier. You had uh, crops burnt previously, and now you have it again.
1: Terrible. So this is not good. I'm assuming word is getting around that these people suck. Yes. And, <laughs> and so, honestly, yeah. So, obviously, hostilities is heightened with the natives. Um, and White, he does try to explain that it was a mistake. And he essentially... It I doesn't, didn't mean they,
0: to kill you. Well, I meant to do it
1: to the, the, the other your other close relatives. Yeah. Like, you know, no big deal, right? Right. But they, you know, he does sort of dampen the fire so to speak a little bit but it's still very uncertain and he puts the colonists in a very very touchy situation i would say yeah and it's made a little more touchy with the fact that there's a new baby yeah the first baby (laughs) virginia dare is born on august 18th 1587 yeah
0: so now he has a granddaughter in the new world
1: it's a new stake eh? like that's that's raising it You know what I mean? And it is
0: pretty profound. Like, just to reiterate again, the first ever born English citizen Mm -hmm. in the New World. Ever.
1: Ever. And there's so many mythologies that have sprouted up around her Mm -hmm. since. She's a
0: character in poems and plays and books and things Mm -hmm. like that. She's...
1: Oh, even um, in Interstellar, the um, what's her name? Anne Hathaway's character is... Actually,
0: no. Uh, she's named Eleanor. Oh, she's
1: named, oh, no, no, no. She's not named Eleanor. She's named Amelia. I Amelia, got that wrong. Oh,
0: sorry. We were mixing that up because there was an Amelia Earhart reference in there was. As one of the theories here.
1: Yeah. But
0: no, she's, but but Virginia Dare is referenced in a ton of stuff. Right. Um, and, she's uh,
1: even uh, once referenced as like maybe a rival to Pocahontas. Yeah. For yeah. Used in Smith's a story for
0: yeah, for, yeah, right. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Eh? It's like, I don't
1: mm-hmm. know, that fits
0: into that story pretty well.
1: It does. So anyways, White decides it is time. Well, I don't know if he decides or if the colony decides it's time that he needs to go back to England. And Well,
0: that's controversy there, right?
1: Well, that's just it too, because like, are they trying to push him out because he's so heavy handed? Is he the most suitable because he can rally for supplies and for other supports for them? And on top of that, he can relay the fact that Fernandez was so much of a like you know like a a negative factor in this whole thing yeah
0: yeah by all accounts from what i came across like the people really insisted that he go and it's just yeah it's just a Mm -hmm. question of whether or not they thought okay we're insisting that you john white go because you're the most capable Mm -hmm. or we want you to go because things are already bad and you're making it worse
1: (laughs) you're just mucking it up
0: you know I don't know the age, exact age of John White at this time. Um,
1: I'm assuming but, he's a little elderly. He's not a like, grandchild man. Well,
0: I mean, it is back in the day. Like, people he's probably had, in his 50s. You know, that reminds me of uh, like what we do in The Shadows where he's like, that is why I always look 16. And he looks like he's like 40. And it's like, <laughs> of course, in those days, life was tough for a 16-year-old. <laughs> but, but I don't know exactly how old he was. But, um... That's a kind of a question for me, though. It's like, okay, are, are you really the best person to be sent back? Like, obviously but to he is make the governor. negotiation. He, yeah. But that's sort of an important role in where you are, too. True. Right? Like, presumably yeah. there would be another person out of the 117 that would be able to uh, help command a ship to get back. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Okay, so this guy was born in 1540, John White. So at this time, he Right, is... okay, yeah, yeah he is, uh,
0: so he's in his like early fifties then. Is that what that would be?
1: Whoa. It says here, apparently he died at the age of 52 to 53. Um, and the year was 1593.
0: Well, he died right after he, he died came right back. after okay. he came back. It was just three years later,
1: three years later. He right. never
0: knew what happened, but So
1: he's that's... only, yeah. So he's in his late forties at this time.
0: Okay. So, for those days, let's call that, like, early 70s. <laughs> you're a senior. <laughs> you're a senior. I mean, you're going on an Atlantic voyage. It ain't easy, you know what I mean?
1: mm um, yeah. Ain't easy being Parcheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> oh, uh, so, no we jokes. Jokes. basically,
0: this is, this is where we sort of um, wind down this first, this first episode here.
1: Well, but, okay. So, yeah. Like we discussed, it's kind of debatable why he was sent, Yeah. but when he is sent and he arrives on English shores, he finds England in the middle of preparation for war with the Spanish. Spanish Armada. That's the classic. Everyone knows that They're going
0: to war with Prince Philip.
1: Exactly. And that, again, is detailed quite extensively in Elizabeth the Golden Age, I believe. Yes. 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 So Prince Philip amassed over 300 ships of various sizes and basically... I can't remember how, I believe what happened was the English, they took the battle into the channel, so it was a narrow, it was exactly like 300, right? Yeah, Where it was like that um, strategic thing where it's a narrow thing, so you can, you're just like basically So the numbers didn't matter. And the long-range guns of the English were no match for... Or sorry, sorry, other way around. (laughs) The long-range guns of the English outmatched
0: outmatched
1: and destroyed
0: yeah so like philip he had yeah this massive fleet and i believe the story goes that basically yeah the battle in the channel took place and there wasn't a single english ship that was harmed
1: but over half of the spanish were destroyed
0: so they weren't that great no sea battles
1: but that sucks right because john white he knows the colonists are in dire straits yeah he knows he needs to get back right away and he can't. He's no. stuck there for three years. Yeah, three and he even employed.
0: He implored uh, Sir Walter Raleigh as well, mm-hmm. who actually did advocate on his behalf and went to the Queen.
1: And but she didn't want to spare a single. He shit. She
0: was the one person that could have made that happen. Um, you mm-hmm. know and.
1: I'd have to agree there's there.
0: there's some questions about that too and again like we're excited to get into the second part because that comes up too but he was the only person really that could have made it happen and to think that like you couldn't spare one ship mm-hmm. like you're trying to establish a colony that is also attacking Spanish ships in the new world you think that maybe making sure that the 117 people and the money you've already spent over there would be worth one one just one
1: I know, but that just speaks to, in my mind, it speaks to the idea that at this point, Elizabeth's ambitions have turned. Obviously, she's still focused on the Spanish. The Spanish are coming to get them. I would imagine that Philip is a little ticked off about the fact that they've been plundering their ships for all this time. So that kind of plays into She wanted into to it cover
0: too. bases, I guess.
1: Well, exactly. So she's taking a break from plundering in order to take care of the Spanish Armada, right. decimate them, and then go back to what she was used to before. Right. Or maybe, if she can, slide into a few of those uh, South American colonies and all that kind of stuff and start reaping the benefits herself.
0: I- that would probably be that would would have been the mindset
1: i'm sure but honestly though maybe not because if they've already established all these relations and all these settlements and everything it might be best just to get them while they're on the way out (laughs) which is what that was the easiest way to go so that's what she was doing yeah ruthless
0: very so Mm -hmm. three years pass the english defeat the spanish and finally finally john white's able to find a ship it doesn't end up being a ship that he himself captains, but no. he ends up finding a ship and he's finally able to go back.
1: So what would he find when he returned? What became of the colonists? Hmm. Yeah. It's a mystery.
0: Definitely. So that brings us to the end of part one, and that is the, the lead up and the, the backstory to the lost colony of Roanoke. Mm-hmm. So next week we will be back with part two, and we're getting into the real meat of it.
1: Mm-hmm. and
0: um yeah what uh, what john wright discovers when he heads back and the craziness that ensues and the theories behind this this legend exactly so thank you so much for listening and until next week on into the portal
1: and until next time